today. Um, we are in this, uh, this series uh, still today called Never Alone. And um, last week we, we talked about um, that if there was ever a year where we should go back to like the basic definition of Christmas, this is the year. Um, because if you think about it, nothing is really quite the same this year. Everything around us looks different than what we expect. And yet when everything around you looks different, what begins to emerge is that which didn't change. And that's what we're going to focus on in this series is the fact that no matter what happens with Christmas this year, God is still with us. And today I want to talk about what it looks like to have God with us in the midst of a quiet Christmas that many of us are already experiencing. Uh, so let me invite you to pray with me and then uh, we're going to turn our Bibles to Luke chapter 1 verses 5 to 25 today. Let me pray. Let's pray. Lord, we, uh, we ask this morning that you would quiet our hearts, Lord, quiet our lives. God, that we might hear from you more clearly. Lord, as we open up your word this morning, we read this, this familiar story that many of us have heard so many times before. We pray, would you make it fresh in our minds and our hearts again? God, our true desire is to be changed by you. We, we want to leave this place different. So Lord, by your Holy Spirit, would you, uh, would you do that? Would you shape us and mold us? We pray that as we leave today, we would uh, leave in the, more in the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. God, we thank you for, uh, for your word to us. We thank you that it's true, that it, uh, it speaks into our lives. And uh, God, we just pray right now with all of us gathered here and online in our homes that you would... Uh, meet us where we are. God, we be prayed, don't leave us that way. God, our hearts are open to you now. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen, amen. So let's turn to Luke chapter one. We're gonna read verses five to 25. Hear now God's word. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right hand of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he first saw him and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great before the Lord. He must not drink strong wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, 
How shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them, but remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked upon me to take away my reproach among the people. Friends, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. If I could promise you uh, an extended time of absolute silence, would you take it? And if I were able to give you that absolute silence, those moments, how long do you think you would last? In my world growing up, one of the most universal mom phrases in our house every week sounded something like this. My mom used to say, I just need five minutes of peace and quiet. Anyone ever felt like that? Anyone heard that phrase maybe this morning? I found a place. I found a place that is entirely absent of noise. In fact, they say that when you walk into this room, it is so quiet, you can actually hear your heartbeat and your lungs breathing. Oral Field Laboratories in Minneapolis, Minnesota created a room that is so silent that the sound in that space actually measures in negative decibels. Look at this picture up on the screens. It's called an anechoic chamber. That word anechoic, it means to be without echo. In other words, you become the noise in the room. NASA uses this, uh, this space for their astronauts to help them get used to the soundlessness of space. And it's an important exercise because most people who enter into this realm of silence, they get immediately disoriented. In fact, they say that when their subjects enter into this room, they can barely stand up or walk. Because without sound, you lose all sense of balance and movement. And this is how silent the room is. The longest time they've measured any person in this room is 45 minutes before they start getting concerned about brain raves and losing your mind. You know, I'd venture to guess that most of us have probably never experienced that kind of silence in our lifetime. We are used to noise, right? We are noisy beings. Our lives are packed full of noise. Just about everything we do involves some decibel, some level of noise. And when it comes to that norm, I would argue that this time of year is typically the noisiest time of all. Christmas is the season of noise. Call it what you will, joyful noise, family noise. We can't get enough, though. In fact, December is really an extrovert's dream. And yet we all know, it's no secret, this year is far quieter than usual. And some of us, even in this room, we haven't seen our grandkids in person for almost a year. Christmas will probably look no different. Others of us online, I'm talking with you, I, I know you are in your apartment right now on lockdown, wondering when that's gonna end. 
All of our local traditions are out of whack. They've remained so all year long, but it seems that much more when there is no nutcracker and Christmas stroll is online. The girls and I, we, we uh, went to Livingston last night for dinner. We have this pizza place there that, that we really enjoy. And um, we find ourselves eating an entirely empty restaurant. Like they made an exception for us, I think, because they, they felt bad for Jen and I with the little ones running around hungry. They were like, okay, you can go into the restaurant. Everybody else is ordering takeout. And we sat in this empty room, no waitress, Christmas lights unplugged, TVs turned off, eating our pizza together. And I have to admit, it wasn't until 2020 that I realized how much noise plays into this season. And I'll confess, there was a part of me, even gathered around with the girls, that was a little depressed by it all. It's an interesting place we found ourselves, right? Because on the one hand, it seems to me that deep down, there's a part of us that longs for that peace at Christmas, right? There's a reason that we sing Silent Night on Christmas Eve, because those words tell us a story of what we really want Christmas to be. A, a silent and a holy night where all is calm and the baby sleeps in heavenly peace. That's the culmination of the Christmas season. And yet on the other hand, the anechoic ch chamber reminds us there is something to be said about things being a bit too quiet. So here's my thought. It's much like last week. Um, rather than groan about it or complain or lament it, what if we just leaned into it for a year? Like if we know that God is with us, that that reality doesn't change, then what might he be doing with a, a Christmas that's suddenly absent of the typical noise? You know, the story of Zechariah is literally the story of Christmas silence. Our lesson tells us Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth had been praying for a child their entire lives. They had been waiting and longing and hoping for an answer to that prayer. And when it came to this trial of bearing children, things were no different back then than they were today. The inability to have a child came with all the same baggage then as it does now, with depression and unwarranted feelings of shame and behind-the-scenes disappointment and heartache. And yet, despite this gaping hole, Zechariah and Elizabeth were two of the most faithful people we know in the New Testament. In fact, Luke describes them with words like righteous and devout. Zechariah was a, a priest. He came from a long line of priests. His wife came from a long line of priests as well. And the priesthood of Israel at that time was like an army. Um, Zechariah was one of thousands of priests. In fact, the priesthood was divided into 24 divisions. Each division had a thousand priests within it. That meant Zechariah was one of 24,000 priests in the Judean region. And out of those 24,000 priests on this particular day, Zechariah had finally drawn the lot to fulfill his temple duties on behalf of the people. This was a once-in-a-lifetime draw. Let me just explain to you what that day would have looked like. Um, the church would typically stand outside of the steps on the temple courts, and as they prayed together, the priest, whoever he was, he would go into the temple into a room called the holy place. And in that room, there was always this altar where the priest would offer his own prayers and his incense now on behalf of the people. And at the end of the service, he would then walk out of the temple onto the courtyard steps and he would pray over the people with what was known as the Aaronic blessing. Now, you may have never heard the word Aaronic blessing before, but you're very familiar with it if you've been worshiping with us at all at Spring Hill because it sounds like this. The Lord bless you and keep you. 
The Lord make his face to shine upon you, be gracious to you. The Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you peace. It's kind of neat that here we are thousands of years later doing the same blessing every Sunday. And this day, though, it began like any other, right? Thousands of times before it. Zechariah consecrated himself, and then he goes into the temple on behalf of Israel as the people waited outside in prayer. But what happened next, you have to know it was unheard of. God hadn't spoken to his people for centuries. Look at this in verse 13. The angel Gabriel appears and he says to Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. After all these years of Zechariah waiting for a son and longing and wondering, now he's standing in the presence of Almighty and the messenger of the Lord tells him, do not be afraid. God has heard every word. Not only that, but Gabriel tells him, here's your answer. You're gonna have a son and you will name this son John. In Hebrew, that, that word means God is gracious. It is the perfect name for a moment like this. The angel tells him that your son will be filled with the Holy Spirit, set aside for the specific purpose of paving the way for the Savior of the world. And this most righteous, devout, priestly man considers what he's been told, takes a deep breath in, and yet what comes out of his mouth is shocking. He doesn't believe it. He's waited his entire life for this moment, right? But he can't fathom that this is real because it's too late. That ship has sailed. For those of you that tuned in last week, you'll remember the same Gabriel comes to Mary and he tells her she too is gonna have a son. And she wanted to know how this will be, but she's concerned more with the timeline and the logistics. She's not wrestling with disbelief. She's wrestling with doubt. She's still in. Zechariah, though, he's not on board at all. He says, how can I be sure of this? How do I even know this is real? Zechariah, he's read the scriptures. He, he understands the history of encounters with angels, and he knows what should come next. He wants a sign. He wants confirmation of what's just been told to him. You know, most of the time when we find our, when someone in the scriptures find themselves up in front of an angel, they land on their face, Right? And fear. In fact, we, we saw this at the beginning with Zechariah even. And yet, immediately after that, he's in doubt. Look at how Gabriel recalibrates this moment in verse 19. First, he says to Zechariah, do you realize who you are speaking to right now? Do you see that? Um, he says, you're talking with an angel, and not just any angel. He says, I'm Gabriel. Angels are hardly ever mentioned by name in the scriptures. There's only a few occurrences, but Gabriel's name was already mentioned back when he visited the prophet Daniel years before this moment. Zechariah would have known that. Second, he wants to know, uh, wants Zechariah to understand just where he's found himself. He says, I stand in the presence of God, which means you do as well. You might remember when Moses found himself in front of the burning bush in God's presence, he was told to remove your sandals, you're on holy ground. But Gabriel, he finds himself talking with Zechariah as Zechariah finds himself in the presence of God. And instead of removing his sandals, he's in disbelief. Thirdly, Gabriel tells Zechariah, it's best you realize why we're here. I was sent to bring you good news and yet Zechariah is not buying it. 
This wasn't good news to him. This was impossible news. Elizabeth is far too long in life. No one wants to raise a son at that age. And so knowing Zechariah's heart, Gabriel gives him a sign. In verse 20, he tells him, he says, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you didn't believe. And Zechariah the priest goes silent. The one who is responsible for for praying aloud with the people, the one who is to read God's word before the congregation, to speak God's blessing over the church, he's put on mute. Think about that. His entire life is now silenced. And Zechariah walks back out onto the steps of the temple courts. This is the culmination of a priest's life. And as the people rise up from their knees ready to hear his blessing, he says nothing. What is God doing in this sentence of silence? Back in 2012, an English church called uh, St. Peter's decided to publish an album unlike any that they had ever done before. Um, Normally the church would would kick out the the latest music from the the previous year or the the holiday tunes, Um, but this time they recorded something drastically different. They called it the sound of silence. And here's what they did. They turned on the microphones in the middle of a Saturday in the sanctuary to record nothing. Aside from a few whispers down the hall and some some creaking pews, that 30 minutes recorded exactly what it promised. And here's the unbelievable part. Um, When they released the track, it was such a big hit with the church, the album actually sold out. In fact, it went viral outside of the church and many began inquiring and wanting their own CDs. And the only word spoken in this entire piece was the local priest introducing his new hit single by inviting his listeners to, quote, tune in as they tuned out. You ever notice how when God really wants to get our attention in the scriptures, he always removes the noise? You'll remember well the story of Saul. Saul is uh, the staunch adversary of the Christians in the book of Acts. He was literally in charge of the murder of God's people. He's breathing these murderous threats until this, this bright light comes to him on this road to Damascus. And the risen Lord comes to him in this light and he says to him, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now Saul, of course, is taken back by this. He says, who are you? Who is this bright light that's suddenly overwhelming me? And the bright light says to him, it's Jesus, the one whom you've been persecuting. Now Saul knows he's in deep in this moment. So he asks, what do you want me to do? Jesus tells him, just wait. I need you to go into the city and there you'll be told to do what's next. But here's the crazy part. For the next three days, the book of Acts tells us that Paul was without sight, blinded. And in the midst of this this, this temporary moment of blindness, we're also told he didn't eat or drink. Why? See, it seems to me that even when we don't understand it, even when we can't comprehend it, in the removal of something, God is always doing something. I was so blessed to, uh, to have the, the light side of the, the coronavirus. Um, but I have to say the The most odd part of the whole thing was losing my taste and smell. Anybody else in the Lose Your Taste and Smell Club? Welcome. Glad to have you here. It was so bizarre, right? At first it was this fun experiment, right? Um, Like eating horseradish and Tabasco sauce with no consequences. (laughs) 
And then about a weekend, it wasn't fun anymore. The other symptoms settled in, and then I was texting back and forth with a friend that said he had been now six months without taste or smell, and you start to wonder how long this is going to last. And so, of course, I spent most of that week um, horizontal, you know, laying in bed. You might as well pray. And most of all, I began asking God over and over again for this, these senses back. But in that prayer time, I will say the Lord began to reveal things to me I hadn't considered before. Like just what it is that I take for granted in life. Like, or how much food had become an idol. You know, in the meantime, I began to gain this new appreciation for things that God didn't take from me, like the ability to, to see, the ability to, to hear. And I realized somewhere in the midst of those two weeks, every aspect of this life is a gift. You know, we often wake up with this sense of entitlement that tomorrow's gonna be the same thing as today, and yet there is no guarantee. The only guarantee we have is Christ. The rest is just a bonus. See, and it seems to me that in the removal of something, God is doing something. One scholar, he said it like this. He said, Zechariah received a severe mercy of silence that would soon enable his faith. Just consider what it would be like to sit in silence for 40 weeks. 40 weeks not being able to say a word. This man is a preacher. Like, I get this firsthand. Suddenly you can't pray with people. You can't read God's word aloud. You can't preach to the masses. You have to wonder just what was God doing with the mute button. And yet the more that we home in on this passage, the more it seems to make sense. See, Zechariah was a little too quick, a little too quick to speak and a little too slow to listen. His mouth ended up speaking the deception that was inside of his heart, and in that moment, he revealed everything Gabriel needed to know. You know, you and I, we both know that the mouth is a danger zone, right? And particularly when you're speaking with a messenger from God, this would be the preference. Look at this in Habakkuk 2.20. It puts it like this. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. What might, be God, what might God be doing with a quiet Christmas? See, I think so often we approach God with the noise of our lives and we just sort of throw it all up on him, right? And God can take that, right? He's incredibly good with that. That's the miracle of Christmas, that Jesus would come and step into the fray and the noise of our lives. He hears every spoken word. In fact, Hebrews 4 tells us he's not unable to sympathize with that weakness, but what would it look like if every once in a while we would stop and hit the pause button and listen instead? You know, as you read the book of Psalms, you'll often find um, this odd word buried in the text. Scholars have wrestled with what it means for centuries. Um, do so today. Even if you have your Bibles, you can flip there right now and you'll find it. Um, anytime there's a significant point to be made in the Psalms, you'll suddenly see at the end of the verse the word selah. Selah. Most people skip right over it. But as you read the Psalms, you'll, you'll find it's much like a musician putting a rest, a rest symbol, in the midst of their music. It's a word that refers to a, the absence of sound. 
Selah means to sit in silence with what you've just heard, to ponder it, to, to pray on it, to consider it. And it seems to me that Zechariah had failed to pause. He failed to stop and reflect on what it was that was happening in front of him and who it was that was speaking to him and what it was that was being said. Again, remember the three reminders. Gabriel, do you know who you're talking to? Or I'm sorry, Zechariah, do you know who you're talking to? You've forgotten whose presence you're standing in. You've ignored the good news that I have for you. One of my absolute favorite things to do in a, a big snowfall, and it's coming, just wait for it, maybe a few more weeks. But one of my favorite things to do is to sneak out late at night. And I feel like the big snowflakes almost serve as like an absorption of sound. You ever notice that? Like it is so quiet. All you can hear in the woods is the sound of your footsteps in the snow. And there has always been something profoundly peaceful about that for me. I feel like God always shows up in those moments to teach me something. Something about myself. Something about my sin. Something about my family or, or the church. I tell you, um, I love my kids. We, we are crazy with noise in our house. We make the joyful noises. We make the not so joyful noises sometimes too. Our neighborhood would tell you, our neighbors would say we're probably the loudest household in the, in the area, right? We love noise at our house. But if I don't take some time to be in silence, I'm now rooted in a very dangerous place. I once heard it said like this, speech is the organ of the present world. Silence is the mystery of the world to come. Let me wrap up with this. Fast forward with me to Luke 1, 5, 57, if you have your Bibles open. We'll have it up on the screens here too, but I want you to see how this rest, this pause, this Selah plays out. It's been months of silence, right? And it's finally time for Zechariah to meet his son. Look at this, in, uh, the first thing out of his mouth. Look at this in verse 57. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him Zechariah after his father, but his mother answered, no, he shall be called John. And they said to her, well, none of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father now inquiring what it was that he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing on tablet and wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered. Now watch this. And immediately his mouth was open, his tongue loosed, and he spoke blessings of God. First words out of Zechariah's mouth after 40 day, weeks of vocal lockdown, right, were of him praising the Lord. You see the 180 here? Here's what I don't want us to do this morning. Um, I don't want us to sugarcoat the loneliness of a quiet Christmas. There is such a thing as a room or a place that you are in that is too quiet. But what if in the pause that's 2020, we stop to ponder and consider what Christmas really is? Who it is that's actually born to us, whose presence even right now we're actually sitting in the midst of, the good news that we have no matter what Christmas looks like. If you find yourself having a quiet Christmas, here's my encouragement this morning. Rather than call it a quiet Christmas, maybe we call it a Selah Christmas. 
Because here's our promise. Even in that silence, God is with us doing something. How will we catch it if we sit in the noise? Let's take a moment and practice that right now. Let's sit in the silence together. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the sound of silence, Lord. We know that it's a gift that you have given us, not just for our own mental well-being, but for the fact that in the whisper, you, uh, you begin to speak. God, and we confess there's so many times in our lives where we stop to just simply be still and to wait on you, to listen for you. Lord, and so often we are far too quick to speak, far too slow to listen, whether it's in relationships with others or, Lord, and even our prayer time with you. God, we forget just whose presence we're standing in. We, we forget that you are with us. So, Lord, I pray this morning, would you make that real? Would you help us to find those moments of, of quietness in this Christmas season? And Lord, for those of us whose Christmas is too quiet, God, we pray, would you speak to us in the silence? Lord, we thank you for the promise that you are with us, that you have never left us. God, lead us with that truth this week. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen.